The Hot Tub Industry History Series is brought to you by Watkins Wellness. This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tub industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. So welcome to the Spa Retailer Podcast. I'm so excited to have on the podcast today, Jean-Pierre, you guys all know him as JP Parent with Balboa. He's been in the, how long have you been in the industry, JP? In the spa industry, 21 years. Okay. Uh, In the pool and spa industries, something like 30 years. Okay. Yeah. So for just a little bit. But I was telling him earlier, I think it's so fun when we get the chance to talk to suppliers because they have such a different perspective on the industry and what's going on because they get to deal with everybody, whereas the rest of us are a little bit a little bit more siloed in who we deal with on a daily basis. So thank you for coming on and doing this. My pleasure. We're doing a, a kind of history of the hot tub industry series. And so to get us started, can you just give us a little bit more of your personal background, how you got into the industry, where you grew up, and all of that fun stuff? Okay. All right. I was, I'm born and raised in Paris, France. And when I started to work in 1983, right after my military duty, which at that time was mandatory in France, right. I was hired by a company well-known with the industry called Zodiac. And oh, Zodiac- sure. Zodiac was well known because mostly because of its incredible dinghies that Jacques Cousteau was using. But uh, Zodiac also had an aeronautical equipment division, which was completely separate from the pool equipment division. And that's the division that hired me because by education, I am an aeronautical engineer. (laughs) Oh, really? I had no idea. Yeah, no, of course you had no idea because it's not a prerequisite to be in the spy industry. No, a degree at all is not necessarily a prerequisite to be in the hot tub industry. (laughs) So I started to work with them and very fairly quickly in 1988, they, they had an opportunity in the United States and they offered me a position to manage a company that was making parachutes for the U.S. Army. So that I started with them as a quality engineer over at the parachute factory. So that was an obvious opportunity when they acquired this company based in Mississippi, of all places. <laughs> so, Wait, so I you moved went from Paris, went... France to Hattiesburg, Mississippi <laughs> in the Yes. Okay. So I, I have to hear a little bit more about that because that had to have been the culture shock of all culture shocks. <laughs> it was, but honestly, there was no better place to move to when you hardly speak the language. I had my wife who didn't speak any English with two babies and people were just so welcoming. It was just un- unbelievable. We only have good memories. So I oh, know that great. sometimes Mississippi doesn't have a, a great rep, but it's not deserved because they are the friendliest people on earth. <laughs> I will say that, yeah, when you move to the South, there is a whole different level of hospitality that people have for sure. And you're right. They don't always get the, they always get the credit for that sort of 
warmth that they that they no, have in welcoming it newcomers. Was, it was definitely much easier to move to a place like this than to move to a large city like LA or New York. So mm -hmm. I think it really facilitated our integration. And my wife, of course, learned English. She had no choice. And then my two daughters very quickly became bilingual. So it was a fantastic experience. Yeah. And that was during the first Gulf War. So the business, the parachute business was booming. Oh, yeah. So it was, it was not only a great personal experience, but it was a great business experience because we had to grow really fast to meet the, the demand. And four years later, Zodiac thought that they should offer me an opportunity on the other side of the business, which was the, the pool side, the pool mm -hmm. equipment side, after acquiring a company in Pennsylvania. And that's how I uh, had a soft landing on water, cold water first before hot water later. <laughs> and so in 1992, we moved to Pennsylvania. And at that time, I was managing a company who no longer exists called Maskin Leisure Products, hmm. making above ground swimming pools. Oh, okay. So that was a completely new adventure for me. I remember my first pool show in Dallas in, in, at the end of 91. It was like an eye opening because I was used to the military shows. Uh, and suddenly there were a lot of bikinis. <laughs> and, and, and yes, and all of a sudden it was a totally different environment and quite enjoyable, I must say. So even though I've been in the hot tub industry only 21 years, because of the fact that I entered the pool industry in 1992 and I've been at those shows since 1991, mm -hmm. I cannot walk through uh, one of those trade shows without uh, shaking hands to <laughs> a few dozen people because mm -hmm. in reality, I've been in those trade shows for 30, 32 years almost. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's definitely, a, there's a lot of overlap between the two industries. Absolutely. And okay. at the end of 2001, through uh, a common supplier, I had an opportunity to get an offer from Steroid Industries at that time was making all kinds of pumps, right. including spa pumps. Yes. And they decided to acquire two small companies, two privately owned companies, Vico and in LA and Ultrajet in Canada. And they needed someone to manage the integration and combine it with the spa pump business that they had. So that's how I got into the hot tub industry. Okay. And so I was I moved to Los Angeles at that point. And I was frequently traveling to Ontario, Canada, because Ultrajet was based over there. And also to Wisconsin, because that's where Steroid was. And then we brought those businesses together, which were making basically all kinds of spa and bath pumps, as well as jets and fittings for the hot tub industry. And then Steroid uh, got acquired by Pantera in 2000. Uh, for and Pantera didn't have any leadership at that time in their hot tub business so I was lucky enough to be there and I added the Pantera portfolio to my activity and then in 2008 Pantera divested the hot tub business to Balboa and that's how I, I joined the Balboa team in 2008 and at that time, of course, until then, I didn't deal with electronic controls whatsoever. So that was a new, new for your products that was, again, added to, to my plate. And, and when I joined Balboa, because there was already a management in place, I was not sure of the role that I would play then. Mm -hmm. So uh, Eric Konaki, who was the CEO of Balboa in 2008, 
said, why don't you take care of the international business and supply chain? Because you have an international background that fits quite well. And that's how I ended up spending most of my time in Europe and Asia for the first few years at Balboa. And then little by little, my responsibility increased. I had, I was in charge of engineering starting 2016, and then most of the operations starting 2019. And then Helios acquired Balboa in November 2020. And uh, in March of 2021, I de facto became in charge of the entire business and got officially promoted to the managing director position of Balboa in August of So that's a very quick summary. That's And it's so fascinating because... Again, our audience is, is Hot Tub, but we also have Pool Pro Magazine, which is for the, the pool side of the industry. And so the t- transformation of Zodiac in particular is so fascinating because they were just in all of these random, feels random categories. <laughs> yes. And then and some of them still exist and some of them don't. And some of them are still Zodiac and the pool stuff is now under Fluidra. And th- that that business has gone under such an amazing transformation and it sounds like you were in like little pockets of all of those things along the way <laughs> yeah so basically I, I changed career only once in 2001 after 19 years with zodiac that's when i joined steroid and at, at, at that point it's more the companies around me that touched <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I, I left zodiac on a friday night and started with steroid on a monday morning and that was the only really career change i ever had <laughs> yeah that's crazy. Well, and it's funny too, because you go from the Zodiac and then to the to the Stay Right that ends up being Pentair, which again, so you've been in two of the biggest players in the pool industry, right? You're only missing Hayward and Pool Court. Yes. <laughs> and Fluidra. Yeah, and Fluidra, which you could argue is, is Zodiac, right? <laughs> At yes. this point, yeah. Yes, you're right. Man, so your background in aeronautical engineering, you've done some kind of engineering type jobs uh, and maybe in some of your other roles, but a lot of your career, it sounds like has mostly been in more management and business management and operations. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, operations management at first and okay. then uh, business management. And, and then maybe in the 2000 years, more focused on sales mm-hmm. and sales activity international sales because Balboa sells in 37 countries mm-hmm. and I was lucky enough to have been in at least 30 of the 37 yeah which is probably was one of the most fascinating part of my job because dealing with different cultures business cultures and experimenting different places cuisines traditions and mm-hmm. and having friends in many of those countries has been so enriching in my career that's yeah. definitely probably the part I love the most. Yeah, that would be a pretty amazing experience. So you said you started in the hot tub industry in 2008, which is the same year that I started in the hot tub industry as my very first job out of grad Uh, school. 2001, Balboa 2008. Oh, okay. There you go. So Balboa 2008, that's when I started. But I feel like your time in overseeing kind of the international business for Balboa, is that kind of when you feel like, is that time frame when the hot tub industry really started to take off internationally? Or were there some deeper roots there that I'm not as familiar with? Definitely. I, I would say the, uh, there, there, was a, there was growth in the 2000 years, like 2006 mm-hmm. in North America was probably 
the previous peak prior to right. the pandemic. Right? So I've heard. And and at, at that time, the European business was definitely growing, and mm -hmm. the China, the Chinese OEMs were just starting. And it's really indeed after the uh, recession of 2008, 2009, that the business kind of bounced back gradually, but more more quickly, definitely in Europe and mm -hmm. in Asia. In Asia, again, it's, this is not a local business. This is local OEMs catering to European and Australian and New Zealand customers mm -hmm. because there's still very few spas sold in, in China by itself. I would say 98 to 99% of the production done in China is ending up elsewhere. Yeah. In our last issue, which by the time this podcast comes out, maybe several issues ago, we uh, talked to some retailers around the world and we talked to a retailer in China. And it was interesting because that was his that was his story too. He's so new there still at selling hot tubs to the to the the locals in his own area, which whereas he's been in the hot tub industry for a long time. But it's it's only been for a few years that he's actually been selling hot tubs locally. And so that was really pretty interesting how for as long as we've been talking about China being in the hot tub industry, it's a new it's a new market, essentially. It's a new market. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And then the upper middle class, which is growing pretty fast in China, aspires to, to have an American lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Despite all the tensions that might exist, the political tensions that might right. exist between our countries, a lot of Chinese people aspire living the American way. Yeah. And the hot tub is part of that lifestyle. Right. And the hot tub is very American experience. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a new, it's a new market over there and it's still very small, but it's definitely should grow quite well in the next 10 years. Yeah. It's been interesting learning and watching some of these new emerging markets pop up because it felt like, so obviously hot tub industry started in the United States, grew here, and then it started to spread across. Well, you shouldn't say that. I feel like there are some pockets in Europe where maybe hot tubs were around before they came here. So <laughs> I shouldn't give uh, us the traditional, full credit. Uh, the traditional wooden barrel. Exactly. Exactly. Was, uh, <laughs> was at the onset of the spa industries in Scandinavia. But, exactly. Uh, yes. Otherwise, no, you're right. Otherwise, the, the hot tub as we know it today came from North America yeah. and went to UK first. Yes. And then to the rest of the European continent later. But it the growth of the European market was quite spectacular in the years 2012, all the mm -hmm. way to the pandemic. So yeah. there was already, when the pandemic took place, there was already a momentum in place in Europe, which facilitated the explosion of that market. Yeah. Now, we had, we've seen tremendous numbers in North America as well, but the market was much more mature. The explosion was not as spectacular as it's been in Europe. Yeah, example. I think that's been, and that's been an interesting thing to watch because so when I came in the industry, that was a lot of what I was hearing in the industry was this growth in Europe and how all, all the manufacturers were going to all the shows in Europe and they were seeing, that was that's where they were seeing their biggest growth percentage, right, was overseas in that area. And so that was the, that's the industry that I grew up in <laughs> was that sort of push outward into Europe. And so, and now it's interesting to see places, China and areas of Africa and the, and the Middle East and even South America now starting to see these kind of emerging areas where you're starting to see some strong hot tub presence yeah. and retailers and companies 
pop up over there. And and it's interesting because also in that time period, I've seen the North American market go from, we still talk about it being fragmented, even more so fragmented to, like you said, really maturing to the point now where we are talking about completely different things now than when I started in 2008. In 2008, we were talking yeah. about talking about road shows and that used car salesman mentality. And we are hardly ever talking about that now. It's a much more professional presentation. And I, I would just say more professional in, in general. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Now, and the pandemic expanded our horizons. Our customer base is much bigger than what it used to be. We're, 10 years ago, we were still in North America anyway. We were still catering to baby boomers for mm -hmm. the most part. And now we have a much younger clientele interested in hot tubs for many different reasons, health, mm -hmm. wellness, but also fun, having fun and yes. in, in, with friends in, in the backyard and simple fun. And it's, yeah, it's definitely a new industry with mm -hmm. a new energy. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, it's been really exciting and fun to watch. And I think the thing, one of the things that excites me the most is the, that switch from just being completely focused on baby boomers to now seeing people, more people my age come into the industry and more yes. of my friends are buying hot tubs for their families. And, and that's just been, that's been really, really fun to see and exciting because I think there was a little fear as an industry that, that the older age group was always going to be our demographic and it's just not sustainable, right? <laughs> we, exactly. we need to start exactly. bringing in a younger crowd. And so I think that's one of the things that's really exciting is that you finally started to see that switch and that trend start to change and skew younger. So I, yeah, I agree. That was, that's a really exciting thing to start to see. Yeah. So you started at Balboa in 2008, but what do you know about the history of Balboa and how it got started? So Balboa got started in 1980. And okay. at that time, it was an exclusive subcontractor of Sundance. And it stayed that way for almost 10 years. And then at some point, Sundance, even before they became part of the Jacuzzi Group, decided that they wanted to dual source their electronic controls. And the owner of Balboa at that time said, if you're not exclusive to us, we shouldn't be exclusive to you. Sure. And it, it's really how Balboa got into the industry in a big way. And the growth of Balboa in the early 1990s was spectacular because their products generated a lot of interest mm -hmm. and they gained uh, a lot of market share in an industry that was growing pretty fast at that point, right? The 90s were like the, the big years for the spa industries in North America. Yeah, there's a lot of new hot tub OEMs popping up during that time. <laughs> we exactly. will never see that again. <laughs> exactly. And basically, the Balboa kept uh, growing, still very specialized in hot tub electronic controls. I think they ventured out at some point into pool controls, but I don't think it was a very successful initiative. So they were very specialized in electronic controls for hot tubs. And basically, it kept growing and stayed that way until the private ownership until 2006. And then in 2006... That's when Eric Konecki and Jeff Christine decided with private equity funds to form the Balboa Water Group. And the Balboa Water Group was a combination of Balboa instruments acquired at the end of 2006 and GG Industries in 2007. 
and the spa business of Tinter in 2008, and the spa business of ITT in 2009. That was the, the last big acquisition of the Balboa Water Group, Hydroair and Hydroair International in Denmark, which is why we still have our office in, in Denmark. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that was the Balboa Water Group. So basically, that got formed between the end of 2006 and the beginning of 2009. Uh, during tough times, right? Because it was right in the middle of mm -hmm. that recession with a major downturn in the business. But the fact that I, I think what really helped the Balboa Water Group at that point was to be able to put those businesses together, combine the assets, combine the uh, talents and the product lines. And that helped them sell through that recession pretty well. Mm -hmm. And then the Balboa Water Group went through a couple of private equity flips. The last one was in 2000, and at that point, it was owned by a private equity called the AEA, and they are the ones who sold the Balboa to Helios in 2020. What did hot tub electronics and controls look like back in the 90s when this all got when this all got started? Or would you say, or did you say it started in 88? They, they started to make electronic control for Sundance in 1980. Oh, 1980. Oh, I was off by a whole yeah. eight years. <laughs> yeah, yes. at the end of that decade almost 10 years later, okay. that Balboa started to make controls for the rest of the industry. Okay. And uh, yeah, the controls were very simple. They were basically turning on and off pumps and lights. And uh, the, the technology evolved, obviously. Fundamentally, the progress has been done more on the accessory side and the accessories that the controls manage mm -hmm. as opposed to the control itself. Of course, we're using more up-to-date electronic chips and components with more memories and faster speed, et cetera, et cetera. But the principle is about the same. But now there's all kind of accessories around the, the electronic control mm -hmm. that make the, the, the UI user interface more friendly. And, and uh, there's definitely, especially with the younger customer base that we were talking about earlier, there's definitely a strong uh, interest now in, in technology, right? And yeah. people want to integrate their hot tub more and more to the rest of their home uh, automation. And that's really the direction that we're taking right now. There's also in Europe, there's different concerns like energy savings, especially yeah. because of what happened in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So that's where the uh, heat pumps got into play and being able to integrate the uh, heat pump to our control was also one of the initiatives of the last few years. So I think fundamentally the, the controls, yes, they, they evolved, but not that much when you think mm -hmm. about it, except that the user interface changed dramatically. They are much easier, much friendlier to operate than they used to. We start with uh, all kind of automation around it and integration of accessories such as heat pumps, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So it's mostly the user interface that changed more than the control itself. Yeah, that's interesting because, yeah, we look at how much our lives have changed over as far as our relationship with technology over the last 10 years. And and so it's interesting that you say that about really the user interface being the big change. I think when we look at hot tubs, you, to a certain extent, you hear people say a box of water is a box of water, right? You can only change so many things about what it is and what it does. But it, I feel like the real the real changes come in your area, right? Like you said, with the user interface and this whole Internet of Things, IoT life that we're all living now. But 
yeah, if you don't really have new things to control, there's there's not that much that you're changing, like you said, other than that user experience, which is still, I feel like, a big change going from oh, to a is, touch screen I mean, and that... going to your phone and all of that. You glossed over it, but that's a lot. <laughs> In the end, the control is the brain of the spa, right? Mm -hmm. It gives us an opportunity to control a lot of equipment, new equipment, and also to integrate it to, to the control and improve the user interface. But you're right. In the end, we're still operating, turning pumps on and off and other components on and off. So the control itself, as I said, didn't evolve that much except for the, the quality of the components that are being used. But it's it's all the surrounding that that evolved a lot. And because we're the brain of the spa, we're able to have a huge impact on that user interface. Yeah, absolutely. It always cracks me up when I see some of these really old hot tubs that are still in use. And I feel like the control <laughs> is the big thing that you notice. It's like, oh man, that is what we were using versus we, now. We had a phone call a couple of weeks ago from a, a consumer who uh, was desperately looking for components to repair his 27-year-old control. What? <laughs> and I said, oh my gosh, we don't want our controls to last that long. <laughs> yeah, I know. Did you just, did you tell him it was just time to upgrade, unfortunately? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think my, my technician managed to convince this guy to replace the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, it would be, it's about time at that but, point. But you know how some people are, they are loyal to their equipment and he's been using the same control for 27 years oh, man. pretty amazing i love those stories of the components and the hot tubs that are out there for that long when you just you have those <laughs> and it really comes down to the user right the people who are just so fastidious in their upkeep and maintenance of their hot tub that it can last that long if you're one of those people i am not unfortunately <laughs> do you remember who so you've spent most of your career then in the hot tub industry working pretty much directly with OEMs. Is that correct? Do you remember who your first, the first OEM that you worked with, who kind of your first customer was? Yes. As a matter of fact, it's funny that you ask this question because you mentioned Bob Lauder mm -hmm. earlier and Master Spas was definitely my very first meeting. Oh, really? My very first meeting because when, when Sterite was already selling spa pumps to, to Master Spas, so I remember my very first meeting in the hot tub industry was at Master Spas with Jerry Freed, who was the, the salesperson for Sterite. She's still in the industry, by the way, now working with her husband at Hydro Equip. And she worked for several years with me after the Sterite acquisition. But yeah, Master Spas was my very first meeting. The whole Master Spas team, yeah, we've been working together for more than 20 years. Yeah, and most of them are still there, with the exception of Bob, who has retired yeah. Technically, yeah, although when I interviewed, yes, yes, they're all still there. Although I did interview Bob for this same podcast series a couple weeks ago, and I made fun of him because he's retired. But when I he was still in a suit, <laughs> I was like, "What are you doing? You're supposed to be retired." <laughs> but we just gotten off a business call, and he was talking to me, so he was in the full he was in the full uh, CEO president getup still. <laughs> yeah, but I think he's still on the board, by the way. Right? Yes, no, he is. So he is. It's not completely disabled. It would be hard. It would be hard after the career that he had. No, I agree. And that's been that's been funny too, is to see some of these big names in the industry retire. And then as I'm talking to people, they're like, oh, hey, I guess who I talked to last week or who came on down and we had dinner with. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is still your life. Indeed.
I I imagine that'll be much the same for you if if you ever retire. Is that you're all probably a lot of your a lot of your friends and social life is probably still going to revolve around the hot tub industry. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I've been to a lot of weddings, christenings, baptisms. It created special links and worldwide. So definitely. Yes, I will. Even when I retire from my current functions, I will stay in touch with many people. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what happens when you stay in an industry for 20, 30, however many years, right? So that becomes, yeah. that kind of becomes your, your community. Yes, indeed. indeed. So we... I interviewed you in the midst of the pandemic when all of the supply chain mess was going on. And it was a really interesting conversation because as people now realize in the industry, which maybe they didn't before, is a lot of things kind of bottleneck through Balboa, right? Like you guys are, for the most part, the per the company that supplies controllers to the industry. And so when things exploded, everybody <laughs> was knocking on your door and saying, yeah, no We're way. not the only one. We're not the only one. But, but no, yes. not the only one. This is true. We're, we're a big player. Yes. 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 That's that's the, the, mo the better, the more political way of saying that. <laughs> But yeah, everyone just suddenly it was knocking at your door saying, hey, we need like triple what we originally thought. Can you just go ahead and do that while the <laughs> while the entire world was just experiencing this, the same thing? I just had to have been an incredibly stressful time for you. Yes, but you know what? It was positive stress. Yes, it's, it, it's better than being on the other side, correct? Every, every morning, <laughs> I was getting up every morning telling myself, it's a good problem. It's a good problem. It's a good problem. <laughs> and it was a great problem mm -hmm. to have. It was challenging, no doubt, uh, because even though we are towards the bottom of the supply chain, we still have suppliers ourselves. Mm -hmm. And for example, electronic component suppliers had 18 months lead times. Yeah. So it was super hard to, to react the way we wanted to react. Right. I think we did overall, we did a, a, a pretty decent job. And then when everybody got the momentum going in 2021, it was really hard to slow down in 2022. And I think the industry has been a little bit naive, me included. All of us thought that those wonderful times could last, not forever, but right. much longer than they have. Yeah, it was, it was strange because at first it was like, okay, we're going to have this spike and then it'll immediately go back to quote unquote normal. And then it just stayed higher than I think any of us expected for way longer exactly. than we expected. And it was just so hard to predict. When is that going to change? And like you said, we knew it was. We knew eventually things would normalize and slow yes. back down to yeah. a steadier pace. But it was impossible to predict when that would happen. But I think we were a little oblivious to the fact that it slowed down as soon as probably like late 2021. Mm -hmm. But we were all going strong on our huge momentum that we acquired sure. in, the, in the previous 18 months. And we all woke up in the middle of 2022 saying, oh my gosh, we all have way too much inventory. Now, right. what do we do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it was like a brutal wake up call, so to speak, <laughs> in the middle of 2022. But we are readjusting and inventory levels are uh, getting right sized little by little. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm pretty optimistic for 2024. I think by the end of this year, things will have normalized quite a bit. And we can really gear up for a strong 2024. I think the trade shows at the end of this year are going to be fantastic. Agreed. Because yeah, most of those problems are behind us. So now people are going to focus on new products, new technology, and even shows like the Barcelona show, which normally not a big one. This year should be pretty interesting. 
Really? Uh, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of pent up demand for those kind of shows. Plus the fact that the uh, Asian OEMs were not able to attend those shows mm -hmm. until basically this year. Yeah. So they will attend them again. I think the both the Vegas and the and the Barcelona show are going to be well attended, both from an exhibitor point of view and attendees, international attendees as well. And yeah. the fact that they're not happening at the same time, because last year it was a disaster. Where Lyon and, and Vegas were the exact Leon same Vegas, week. Exact oh. same days. I had to make a choice myself. I was not at the Vegas show because I was in Lyon. Yeah. But it was really a hard choice to make, a choice that I don't want to make. I hope next year is not going to be like that. Yeah. But at least this year, with Vegas being before Thanksgiving and Barcelona right after Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. everybody's going to be able to attend both. So that's going to be great. Yeah. No, and, and I, so I have never attended Le the Lyon show myself. And I was really hoping a couple of years ago, I was like, all right, this is the, like, that's the year. The next time it comes up, I'm going to try really hard to go. But then they are the same weeks. And I just, it just, there's just no, no I way. Know. Because... In your position, you can't. You, you, you're missing out because the fantastic show. That is what everyone tells me. And, but I think I'm, I'm, in some ways, I'm glad that I didn't go this last year because I, I feel like it would have been a little bit of an anomaly still as far as how that show is. And so I'm excited. I'm going to put marking it, putting the X on my calendar again, that this next one coming up in a couple of years, was it 2024? Next year, 24. Oh, 24. Oh man, that's soon. I'm going to have to, yeah. Hopefully that will be the one that I'll get to go and see because yeah, I've just heard some amazing things about that show. And I think yes. it would be from an editorial perspective, maybe not so much from a business perspective, it, I think it could learn a lot from, oh, definitely, from definitely. that. I managed to convince my, my CEO to attend the Lyon show last year. And he came back like uh, super motivated mm -hmm. about the industry. And, and because there was such a great positive energy, despite the fact that the European business was like in the doldrums. So ah. there was still this positive energy coming out of that trade show, which was really encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, if you, you can, definitely you should. Yeah, it's it's on my it's on my uh, it's on my to do list. So for the but for the European market, as we went through the North America went through our, our our pandemic boom, they went through their pandemic boom. But then obviously there is a war and a energy crisis over there that just made it so hard to do any kind of business. Do you feel like that has started to turn around now? Some very slowly. It's probably the market that is going to be the last one to recover. Mm -hmm. And the inventory levels were just skyrocketing over there. Sure. And they, they were optimistic about the future, but unfortunately it didn't last as long as it did even in North America because right. of the energy concerns and everything mm -hmm. else. Yeah. So it's going to take a while. I think they'll, 2024 definitely should be a decent year in Europe again. Mm -hmm. but I don't expect this market to recover before the end of this year. Yeah, it's there's so many things working against it that are just completely outside of anybody's control. Yeah. I feel as with the pandemic and with the energy crisis, sometimes these things produce innovation, right? And the heat pumps, like you mentioned earlier, is going to be probably one of those things that will become pretty much necessary in the European market, but exactly. will and has started to bleed over into the North American market, which is great because I think maybe for once 
we'll be ahead of the game as far as regulations go <laughs> with our energy consumption. So when the government comes knocking and says, by the way, here's your new energy regulations, hopefully we can be like, yep, we got that one covered, guys. <laughs> and there's other benefits. It's not just the energy uh, consumption. The fact that now with the heat pump, you can chill the water could e extend the, oh. the season of our business. Yeah. Because you cannot exercise in a swim spa when the temperature of the water is 95 degrees, right? Mm -hmm. You need yeah. to be able to chill it before you could swim. So I think it's the other application of the heat pump that little by little North America is taking note of. Yeah. And I hope, yeah, I hope it's going to help the industry to bounce back and the numbers right. to come back up. So when you look back over your time in the hot tub industry, are there innovations or touch point moments that stick out to you as far as how the industry has changed or, or grown over the years? You've seen a lot of changes and acquisitions and all of that stuff. I think, again, the, the biggest innovation is all around the user interface. And I think there's still a lot of progress to be made there mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that the spa is easy to maintain, that easy to operate, that uh, you could integrate other components and integrate the spa to other components as well, such as your home automation. Mm -hmm. So that's a direction that I think we need to focus on. And that's where most of the innovation will be uh, on the user interface. Even though most of the progress was done already on the user interface, there's still a lot more to be done. Yeah. And that's, that's quite exciting. That's quite exciting. Yeah. You know what my dream hot tub would look like is the hot tub where I can open up my phone and see what all of my temperature, all of my chemical and water balance is. And if anything's off, I just say, okay, let's fix that. And I just touch a button and it does it for me. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> We're on our way there. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, what I say, okay, I'm going to get in the hot tub in 20 minutes. And when I go out there, it's open the cover for me. And it's just, everything is just ready at, at any time. It's going to be exactly the way you want it. Yes. 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 I, that's, that is the, that's the day that I'm looking, that I'm looking forward to as a uh, millennial consumer. I think we're on our way there. <laughs> I think so too. I'm, yes. I think that there's still so much opportunity in our industry for mm -hmm. innovation and for growth. And when it comes to the wellness side of the world and how much we're so much more invested and interested in that part of our lives. I just, it just seems like the sky could be the limit for the oh, hot tub industry. Wellness and at Helios, we're called the health and wellness division of Helios. Wellness is, is really important. People are, are stressed by their daily lives. Mm -hmm. uh, the hot tub is definitely like a little piece of heaven that we can give them to de-stress, to have fun, to enjoy, to relax, to exercise. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think it might. Even though it's a very mature industry and product in North America, I think it still has a lot of potential because of the benefits it can procure, and right. which were not promoted enough until recently. And I mm -hmm. think the pandemic opened new doors. And now we're realizing that, wow, okay, yes, there's a much broader customer base that could be interested in our products. So I'm quite optimistic about the future of our industry. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this with me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. JP and I met right at the very beginning of the pandemic. We met at a, a dealer conference and 
early 2020 and little did we know what we were in for once we got home. So it was, I had my little, I think four month old baby with me and your daughter was about to have a baby. And I think you got stuck not being able to see that little grandbaby for a long time. <laughs> That's right. You remember that. I but do. You have a great memory. When it's... Three years old now, believe oh, it or not. <laughs> isn't that crazy? Mine is also three years old now. <laughs> but no, that's but, the thing. If you, if I can tie a memory to my children, I will definitely remember, right? <laughs> yes, yes, you're right. Now, I like to take advantage of this to congratulate you on your magazine, your podcast, your editorial. I like the way you spice things up, presented <laughs> them. So you're, you've been a great addition to the industry yourself. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I'm looking forward to doing some more of these down the road. Spa Retailer Podcast is a production of Spa Retailer Magazine. Let us know what you think by leaving a review or emailing us at podcast at spa Thanks for listening.